All right, good morning. Take your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. You know, one good thing about church is I've never had a gloomy day inside this building. Sure had an awful lot of them out in that world. Uh, wake up, get in your truck, you got to turn the windshield wipers on. It's not raining, it's just misting so heavy you can't see out your window. You, you know, your back window, you can't see out of it. All them gloomy days, I don't like them too much, but I've never had one of them in here. Sure good to be here this morning, I'm excited about it. I've prayed about it, and I think the Lord has something for us this morning, if you'll uh, give me your ear for just a few moments, all right? First Chronicles chapter 21, we'll go ahead and start reading right in the middle of the story in verse 18. Now we'll go back and we'll kind of cover some of the background information, but if you will let me, we'll start right in the dab middle of the story, all right? In verse 18 in chapter 21 in First Chronicles, the Bible says this, Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel. His four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, and went out on the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground, then David said to Ornan, Grant me this, the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar uh, therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. Verse 23 is where we find the meat and the bulk of our message this morning. The Bible says this, And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let the Lord the King do that, which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. Say with me the next four words, I give it all. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for, for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for, for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. Amen. So David gave to Ornan for the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offerings. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. Father, we are so grateful to be in your house. Lord, we're so thankful for Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb of God who came and shed His blood for us so that we can be a church this morning, a regenerate body of people that are gathered to hear from You. Now, Lord, I pray that You'd be here this morning. I pray that Your Spirit would dwell mightily upon the service. Lord, please be with me. Give me Your power. And it's in Your Son's precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Now, as you've probably already seen the slide this morning, I am in charge of making the slides, and I do not want to offend anyone this morning. Obviously, I've put a word up there that some may be questioning, dummies. I hope that's not too risque for you. Uh, I use that word frequently without too much thought, so uh, it wasn't much for me to put it up there, but I hope it doesn't offend you. I apologize if it does. This morning, I don't want to insult your intelligence or anything like that, but we're going to be talking about giving an offering for dummies. 
Now, as I thought about the way that sounded, we don't have, you know, a staff full of dummies that we're taking up an offering for. We're not doing that. Although our staff would probably qualify as dummies as I am one of them. It is actually how to give an offering as a person, giving an offering. And like I said, I don't want to insult your intelligence this morning, but for me, I learn and I try soaking up everything I can before I endeavor on a task. Now, you may laugh at this, but I literally Googled how to make a grilled cheese sandwich the other day. I did not know how. And so I Googled it, I found a YouTube video, and I watched it. (laughs) My mom has made grilled cheeses for me, my wife makes grilled cheeses for me, but at that time they were both unavailable. (laughs) And I had to learn myself how to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Now not only that, I, I read the instructions, well, okay... When I'm doing something that has instructions, I do not read the instructions. However, I look at the pictures. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, okay. I remember uh, when I first, right before I got married, I was setting up some things in my house. And I had gone to Big Lots and I had purchased a, a uh, dresser of sorts. And um, I called my best friend, Cody Sears. To come over and help me build this. I didn't know how long it was going to take. Just a recommendation. If you're going to get married, just invest in a good toolkit. Because there will be a lot of assembly right at the start if you buy cheap stuff like we did. And I remember I paid, you know, got this thing on discount. And uh, me and Cody started pulling pieces out of the box. And this thing was made in China. And they don't use screws. They use these little like locking plastic things that go over the head of another screw. And... Yeah, it was just a pain. And I was like, Cody, yeah, man, no, no, don't worry about this. We'll, we'll go rent a red box. We'll build this thing in like 30 minutes and we'll watch the movie. Cody's like, oh, okay. Five and a half hours later, me and Cody are still looking at unassembled pieces of this Chinese, you know, oh, a dresser. And it was terrible. We're sitting there looking at the pictures. Now, number one screw goes into letter C slot. Cody, and I remember, uh, I had assembled, we had, there's six drawers, and I gave Cody three drawers to assemble, and I took three drawers to assemble. We both had one screwdriver, and we're alternating in between it. And uh, I get done with my three drawers, and I see that Cody's struggling a little bit. And uh, I then begin to look at Cody's drawers, and they are assembled where they should have been wide, they were long. He'd used the side panels for the back and the front. It was just the craziest mess of jumbledness ever. But I do like knowing what I'm going to... I learn about what I'm going to do before I do it. And so this morning, and I, I, like I said, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I want to cover some extreme basics. And I want to give you somewhat of a how-to instructional sermon on why we give and how we ought to give. Now, now, if we follow our story and we go back to the beginning of the chapter, what has happened is King David, the fearless great leader of Israel, has numbered the people against the wishes of God. The Bible says that Satan literally tempted and moved David to number the people. And really, if you study the passage, it seems like David is becoming very prideful. And in verse 1, so much so that he says, go number the people so that I may know the number of them. He's, he's saying, I want to know for my own sake. 
And he says, go number my army. And he pretty much, they, they bring back this number of men that can carry swords. And David is taking pride in this. And David sins. And, and, and basically now, what has happened, if, if you read the story, God has given David three choices. God is going to judge the nation of Israel. And, and God tells David that he can either suffer a famine for three years... He can be under the hand of his enemies, other nations that will be fighting against him and prevailing for three months. Or God can send pestilence upon them for three days. And so David chooses wisely, in my opinion. And what he says is he says, oh, the grace of our Lord is so great. How could I fall into the hands of man? I'll give myself to God. And he chooses the three days. Now what this pestilence is, is God literally sends the angel of the Lord upon the nation of Israel. And so much so that people could visibly see the angel of the Lord with a sword going throughout Israel and killing people. And this is where we find the solution. Is David is told by, by his seer that God told him that if he would offer an offering to him, that he would stay the hand of the angel. And, and so this is where we find ourselves. Now David needs to get this offering taken care of. He needs to fix this problem because there is a huge problem going on. People are dying. And so David goes to Ornan. But the, the hero of the story to me is not David. Now, I'll be honest with you. The reason I started researching this passage was because of what David says. How could I give anything to the Lord that is not my own? That's why I studied this passage. But you know what? The more I studied David, the less I became impressed with him. And I found this little man, Ornan, just an ordinary guy. And if you would allow me, I want to take a look at four how-to tips from Ornan's life. All right? First of all, look with me, if you will. How should our offering be given? Our offering should be given in fear of God. Look in verse 20. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. Now look back in verse 15 and 16. Uh, In verse 14, so the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and and said to the angel that destroyeth, It is enough, stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. In verse 16, now pay attention. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched over Jerusalem. Could you imagine the sight that has taken place? Literally what has happened is David is looking at the angel of God as he has gone throughout the city and the angel of God literally is standing in the sky with a sword drawn out ready to kill at God's command. And as Ornan, you you read there in verse 20, Ornan sees this angel. What a good motivation to give. You know what? I think if something was going to make me embark on something, an angel with a fiery sword would be scary enough to do it, right? I was thinking last night, you know, an angel with a teddy bear is a little bit scary to me. Because it's just an angel, you know. This is a little crazy. But this angel literally has a sword in his hand and he is literally 
going throughout Jerusalem, killing people. And Ornan, you know what he says, the great, the, the great saying where he says, I give it all. It is literally directly on the heels of seeing the angel of the Lord with an outstretched sword. And this is the reason why I think we ought to give our offering in fear of God. Fear is a good motivator. It really is. And you know what saddens me? Is Baptists especially, but Christians in general, have so watered down the fear of God. And please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe. But it is a little more than that. You see why? Because the Bible gives us three words that means fear. And it gives us completely different words in both the Hebrew and the Greek to to explain reverence. So there is a difference between reverencing and fearing. Look what Job says. Job says this in Job 23. But he is in one mind and who can turn him and and what his soul desireth. Even that he doeth, for he performeth the thing that is appointed to me. Now pay attention. And many such things are with him. Therefore I am troubled at his presence. When I consider, I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft. The Almighty troubleth me. You know what? There is a reverential awe that we ought to have of God. But we ought to be a little bit afraid of him too. You know why? Because the reverential awe that we talk about and we defend uh, so much when we talk about the fear of God, isn't working for us. I look in Christianity and a lot of people are saying, well, the fear of the Lord is a reverential law. And then they go out and live uh, idolatrous. You don't have a reverential law. Job's saying, I am literally scared of my God. Why is it so hard for us humans to admit that He is much higher than us? And he does literally, like a puppet master would pull the strings in our life, have control of us. There's a little bit of fear in that. You know what? As Ornan gave his offering, as much as I love what he did, I think a lot of it was just saying, I am scared of what's going on right now, so I am going to give all that I have. You know what? This, two weeks from now, when that offering plate comes by, and our big give-it-all offering rolls right through your lap, let me ask you, how will the fear of the Lord affect you that day? Because if it really has you, the reverential all part of it will make you give. Because God owns it all anyway. You know what? We, we claim verses like, The Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but He has no business being in my wallet. The meaning of that passage is, The Lord owns every cattle on those hills. You know, there's probably a rancher that owns those cows, but the Lord owns them. There was a rancher that went and bought those at some sale, but the Lord still owns them. See, you work week to week for a paycheck and and you try your very hardest to be a good worker at your job and you earn that paycheck and it has your name on it, but the Lord still owns it. It is not yours. The Bible even says that our body is not our own. Why would we think that our money is any different? 
this offering plate rolls through our lap, guess what? At that very moment, you will make a choice. Do I fear God or do I love money? The Bible says no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and serve the other. The Bible's talking about he will either serve mammon or he will serve God. Your choice will come in two weeks as we take this offering. Will this fear of our God, how magnificent and wonderful is our God. We sing about how he is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings and yet he's just a suggester to the saints. You see, the Bible is so clear that we are to honor God with all of our substance. We are to give Him everything that we have. And and the fear of the Lord is a great motivator for us. I remember when I was just a young kid, probably 12 years old, I went to work for Brother Jimmy Purcelli. And I really enjoyed the work. Uh, We rode cutting horses. My dad the other day told you about how I got tired of riding round and round. Now, cutting was a very fun sport. I enjoyed that, but I did not cut. I rode horses every day, and I would probably ride 10 horses a day in the same arena, all the way around it, no less than probably a billion times a day. And I would literally look at the same piece of ground all day. I would hand the horse off to Brother Priscelli so that he could work the horse. I would go wash him off, get a new horse. Now, I enjoyed the job. It was fun work. But... There was two weeks out of the year where we did this thing called hauling hay that was the devil. (laughs) My soul, it was horrible. I don't even know how many bales of hay that it was, but I'm pretty sure it's close to a million. (laughs) And uh, the last number I heard was about a gazillion. There were a lot of them. And it was the worst. And basically, there was this one lady that had worked there for a while. Her name was Sherry. So she got to drive the tractor. That was the good job. (laughs) Driving the tractor with the air hitting you in the face. And we didn't do this at night or anything. I mean, we're doing this in July from, you know, 8 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Yeah, we picked a good time for that. Can't we cut hay in January? Just wondering. I don't know. But, oh, it was so hot. And it was, Sherry would drive the tractor, and me and this fella named Ricardo would work on the tractor, moving the hay uh, around and getting it stacked up. And we would take these cotton trailers, these 16-foot cotton trailers, and we would stack these bells seven levels high. And then we would take the tractor up, put it in the barn, in a covered barn, with no ventilation, in 150 degrees... It was so terrible. And I remember old brother Ricardo was not the best worker. And what he would say to me, Jimmy would be there, you know, boss is there. So he's like outworking me. I'm, I'm just 12 years old. He's throwing these things. He's throwing me while attached to the bells, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I remember Jimmy would leave on his golf cart and he would go back to the house to, I'm sure, go soak in a bath of ice water and watch television. And I'm not bitter about it, don't worry. About it. But during this time when Jimmy would leave, Ricardo would start saying things like, Me no work till me get awa. Did Jimmy bring me awa? I'm not going to work. 
I was like, Ricardo, just because Jimmy leaves, it doesn't matter. You have to work. I mean, we have to work all the time so that way we can get done and I don't have to endure this devilish pain anymore. But Ricardo, I mean, he was a great worker when the boss was there. And when, when he wasn't, he was a terrible worker. You know, it is the fear of the Lord in Ricardo's life. The fear of Yimmy. When Jimmy was there, he was a great worker because the boss was watching. When Yimmy was not there, he was a terrible worker because the boss was not watching. I do not believe that Jesus stands at the foot of people's bed with a flaming sword telling them visions. But it might help. You see, we act as if when that offering plate comes around, God doesn't know. God watches you ride on it. God watches you not even grab an envelope. And you see, when the boss is around, it's a great motivator. And if, God, if Christ were to appear today with a flaming sword and flaming hair and say, this is how much I want you to give, I hardly doubt we'd have a problem pulling the checkbook out. But you see... We act as if He's not here. We are assured that our God is an omniscient God. And the Bible says that you could even go to the belly of hell and He would still be with you. There is nowhere that God is not there. You understand, when you write a check, God knows where that check is going. When you are at a place, God knows where you're at. And when God gives you something that you ought to give to this church so that we can see growth, so that we can see potential people come and hear the gospel, when God gives you a number, He knows whether you follow through with it or not. See, the fear of the Lord is a great motivator. Not only should we give our offering in fear, but I also believe that we should offer, give our offering in love for our King. In verse 21, notice what happens. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. You know what? Love is a pretty good motivator too. I don't know how accessible David was to the nation of Israel. I would highly doubt that many people saw him. You know, he had governors, he had princes to do his work. He didn't have to go out. He, he could just hang out in the kingdom all day, just chilling in his, you know, big house, whatever. David didn't have to go out. Much less, I, I, I highly doubt that David went out and spent time with uh, uh, lesser people often. But you see, as this man, even though there's an angel with a, a sword standing above him, when he saw the king... He runs out, bows himself down to him, shows his submission and says, you take whatever you need. It's because of love for his king. You say, oh, Brother Andrew, if there was an angel with a sword above my head, I would probably love my king too. But then I look at a story. I look at a story uh, when David doesn't necessarily have an angel anywhere. I look of the story when the three mighty men in 2 Samuel, David just simply says, boy, how I would like a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And three men literally risk their life. 
literally go and fight the Philistine troops. Three men by themselves go to Bethlehem. And they literally fight troops to get their king a drink. There was no flaming angel sword there. It was strictly love. David was so moved by it when they got the cup back, he said, how could I drink from this? Is this not the the men that risked their blood for me? And he pours the water out in a gesture of humility. You see, David understood that these men literally had a genuine love because of the sacrificial giving that they gave. When this offering comes around, how humbled will God be at your sacrifice? You see, God is so attracted to offerings that take a lot from us. You say, what are you talking about? When I read about the widow's two mites, I see how that Christ is so moved and He says, Everybody else gave out of their abundance, but this woman gave out of her want, out of her need. She gave out of her living. The Bible literally says uh, uh, that she, but she for her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. She gave her last two mites for God. You know what? God loved us so much so that He sent His Son to die for us. God was very attracted to His Son's offering for us. You see, what Christ did that day is when the Bible talks about uh, Christ humbling Himself and coming and laying His life down on the cross, He did not have to do that, and yet He understood that there was a need, and He loved us so much that He humbled Himself, and, and, and being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled Himself and, and, and took on the form of flesh and died on the cross for us. My friends, God is very moved by love. Very, very moved by love. 1 John 4 says, We love Him because He first loved us. You know, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture is Romans 8, when the Bible is saying, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It lists several things, and he says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. My friends, the love of God was so greatly demonstrated the day on the Calvary. It was so greatly demonstrated to a sinful race of humanity. We cannot muster a pen to give an offering to His work and to His kingdom. You see, if fear does not grip you, the love and respect and honor for our King has to. That's what Paul was talking about when he says, the love of Christ constrains me, constraineth me. It makes me do these things because He loved me so much and I love Him so much, I have to do this. Man, I look at my life and probably there's only a few people in my life that I could really demonstrate this with. 
The other day I was snoozing on my day off at two o'clock in the afternoon. And I was about to have to go to basketball practice, but I was cutting some Z's. And I was on my couch, my beagles on my chest, my retrievers at my feet. We're just sitting there sleeping away the day, you know, a little MLB network on the TV. And we're just chilling out and I'm loving it. And my phone goes off. And I will just be very honest with you. I will answer my phone about 98% of the time. But if I am sleeping, I will look at it and I will ignore that call. It's just how I roll, you know. My sleep is valuable to me. I appreciate and enjoy my sleep. So if I get a call that is not important enough for me to wake up, then I will not slide that little button to answer. However, my dad called me the other day at 2 o'clock, right in the middle of this nap that I'm supposed to be taking. And, you know, <laughs> I see dad on the phone. And I, I begin to kind of wake up and I'm... You know, you do the little me, 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 just to get your voice right so you don't go, hello. <laughs> no, I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> you know, you get prepared. You're like, <laughs> hello. You know, you know, you do it. Don't even act like I'm strange. And I remember my dad called and I, I slid the button. I was like, hello. He says, Andrew. Uh, my truck's ready. Will you run me down to Peacock Transmission? <sighs> well, yeah, I guess. All right, I'll be over at the house in a little bit. It was the worst. I was right in the middle of my nap, but you know, my dad called me. He's done so much for me all my life. I just got up, you know, what's a nap for what he's done for me. What are you willing to give up for the love that God demonstrated for you? See, fear is a great motivator, but I think the best motivator is love. Oh, this great love wherewith he loved us. You write a check. Know that it doesn't have to be out of fear. It can just be out of appreciation for what he does. The blessings that these folks are talking about in our videos, they talk about, you know, it may not have always been financial, but God just has always been with us. Well, what better life insurance policy than that? God being with you? God, God protecting you? Oh, man. There's a few good motivators, but to me, the greatest is love. Not only is fear a great motivator, not only should we give in, in love, but look with me, our offerings should be given in disregard of ourselves. In verse 23, notice this, and I, I can already tell, you're shutting me off. Don't shut me off, pay attention. In verse 23, And Ornan said to David, Take it to thee, And let my Lord the King do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. We cannot even relate to what Ornan is telling David to do here. Ornan is a professional thresher. Everything he owns is on the rock that David is asking to buy. 
Those instruments were his livelihood. The threshing floor was a big flat boulder. And what he would do is he would take the wheat and he would put them on the boulder. And those oxen that he so freely given to David, he would take those oxen and they would lay the wheat out in a circle and he would walk those uh, oxen around in a circle and as their hoofs would crush the wheat, they would literally separate the chaff from the wheat and you would have the seed. And Ornan says, take my instruments for the wood. Take my oxen for the burnt offering. Take my wheat. Everything that I own, take it. I give it all. He was giving his livelihood. After this, I could not imagine how Ornan was going to make a living. He would literally have to go get new oxen. He would have to find a, a flat boulder to, to, to be able to do this on. He would have to remake these tools that he's speaking of. But even at that, where's he going to get the wheat? He just told David, you can have that too. All the fruit of the harvest he literally has on this rock. And, and he has nothing else but this. And he so disregarded himself. And he said, just take it all. I give it all. God loves a sacrificial giver. You see, when I hear stories, like my dad told that story the other day about the man that found $580 that he'd been plowed. Y'all remember that story where he plowed it under three years ago and he finds it three years later and he told the Lord that he promised that. And he, he gave that You know, that story was great, but it didn't really impress me. Because that man pretty much had lost that money. He just pretty much gave that right back. It was like he never lost anything. But when you dig in your pocket, like the widow of two mites, the last she had, the very last, everything she had in her name, she pretty much signed over to the church That gets God's attention. See, because when we do this, when we disregard ourselves, and we tell God that you are more important than my income, you are more important than my finances, you are the ultimate, everything else is secondary, that gets God's attention. You know why? Because that's how it ought to be. And I promise you this, it's becoming so rare in our church For us to put God as the first priority and and everything else is second. Occupation, family, everything else must be second to God. A sacrificial giver says, everything that I am is only because of you, God. I give it all. And I'm not saying that you ought to sign your bank account over to the church. I'm saying you seek out God's face and you fall down on your knees and you ask Him what it is you ought to give. And if it's a boat, you give a boat. If it's an RV, you give an RV. If it's season tickets, it's season tickets. You see, we may have to give up something for this offering. But at the very moment that we do that, that gets God's attention. Signing an income tax check over to the church, great. 
But are you sacrificially giving? I'm not, I'm not saying what you should do. But I'm saying don't go with this generic rounding off of numbers. Let's literally fall on our face before God and ask Him, Lord, my part in this offering may be very small, but I ask you, what should I do? My wife and I may not be able to do much, but we are seeking God's face on what we ought to do. You see, because the cheapskate in me, I probably won't give God what He wants. Every time me and my wife have ever had an offering like this, I'm always lower than my wife. And how humbling is that? Like, I think we ought to give a couple bucks. I was thinking that we should sell the house. (laughs) You know, (laughs) but you understand, we have to seek God's face. And if something that he tells us to do is a little uncomfortable, that'll be wonderful. I hope this offering challenges you because a challenged faith is a growing faith. I hope that as we look at this offering on what we ought to give, I hope that we disregard our safety. The Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow. Have you ever seen the ravens? Do they worry? Have you ever seen the lilies of the field? How God clothes them in such fine array? Have you ever seen that? They don't worry about it. If it makes us uncomfortable, then good. Christ was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable for us. Knew no sin and yet took sin upon Himself and died for us. Man, sacrificially giving in our time and our finances, that's a given. Not only should we disregard ourselves, finally, look with me if you will, our offering should be given in faith for the future. Now, as I study this passage, we're so close to being done, you can't even stand it. But as I studied this passage, I had no idea about what I would learn. There were two passages that I was debating about when my dad asked me to preach two weeks ago. I was debating between this David saying, how could I give anything that did not cost me something? I was debating between that one. Or secondly, I was debating between the passage of Scripture where David gathers the materials so that his son Solomon could build the temple. I I was wondering, you know, I was impressed with both. I was impressed with the temple one because David knew that he couldn't build the temple, but he was going to do everything that he could, and I thought that would preach. I had no idea the two were connected. Look at this with me. In chapter 22, in verse 1, Look look in verse 30 first. The Bible says this, But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Uh, That's talking about the tabernacle of the Lord. David could not go to it. But then look, on the hills of what Ornan has done, then David said, This is the house of the Lord God. And this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. Now skip to verse 6. Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build an house for the Lord God of Israel. 
And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto God, uh, the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and, shed, uh, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth of my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee. You understand what's happening here? At the exact same location that David buys this from Ornan. The man, just a simple man, just an ordinary man that says, I will give it all. At the very same location is the place where the temple of God was built. That blew me away. I literally ran into my bedroom last night telling my wife, I had no idea. A man sacrificially gave. And because of that, millions were able to meet God at the temple. And one day, because of this little thresher, Christ will literally sit on the throne at the threshing floor of Ornan. I don't know if Ornan had any idea what he would do. I, I seriously doubt if he could comprehend the magnitude of this one phrase, I give it all! But people met God because of His sacrificial giving. The temple of God where the veil was literally rent in two or twain, as the Bible says, when Jesus Christ died. That temple is the same temple of Ornan's threshing floor. You know what? The Bible promises us this. is If we will give, God will bless. The Bible says it time and time again. I'll look in Deuteronomy 15 in the Old Testament. The Bible says this in reference to giving to the poor or our brothers. It says, Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Because that for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. The Lord says, if you give to the poor, if you give to the weak, I will bless you. Not only that, in Proverbs 3 and verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so that thy barns shall be full with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Not only that, in Philippians 4, Paul talks about an offering that the church at Thessalonica had given unto him. And it says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that might abound to your account. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. He says, because you have done this, God will take care of you. I didn't want an offering for myself. I knew that if you gave to me sacrificially, God would give back. Ornan did something phenomenal this day. He gave everything that he had to God. And God took it and blessed an entire nation with it. What do you think God could do if a group of people gave sacrificially? You know, Brother Billy Davenport is such an awesome man. Many of you may not remember it, especially with the influx of new members that we've had. When we were building this building, Brother Billy was the program director, he was the contractor, he was pretty much you to man guy. Right? He was if anybody had a problem, that's the guy they went and saw. 
And Brother Billy, you know, saved us money. He did all this work. He, he worked so diligently for a year and a half on this building we sit in today. And many of you may not know it, but everything you see in this auditorium, woodwork-wise, Brother Billy literally sat right there. I remember seeing the saw. And he literally took one and would cut it. And he did every bit of this woodwork by himself. I don't know how much longer Brother Billy Davenport has on this earth. But long after he is gone, he will still be blessing our church. And I will be able to look at my children and show them a picture of a saint of God and be able to look them in the face and say, you see all this? A man gave sacrificially to our church. A man literally took his time and, and worked each piece by himself. And he gave of his time and he gave of his money. And he did all that he could for God. And because of that, children, we are blessed today. What part will you have in this offering? I don't know what you can do. Maybe it's small. Maybe it's large. I pray that you would seek God's face. But understand, it is not an immediate investment. You will not see the return immediately. But my friend, when the next bus kid comes in this auditorium and sits in a room that you have financed and they get to meet Christ and one day we stand before the throne of God and that little bus kid says, because you gave, I was able to meet Christ as my Savior. My friend, that's when that investment will pay off. God's not looking for the round-off number type. He's looking for men and women that will gather at His throne and ask what they can do and literally give sacrificially, disregarding themselves, whether it be in fear or love, whether it be uh, in anything, but looking at God and saying, I will do all that I can for your glory. What part will you have? What part will you make a difference in eternity with?